This is Scottish Independence Podcast brought to you by the Indie Live Podcast team. This episode of Rise and Clyde coincides with the week that Scotland is going to the polls in the local elections. Ian Bruce is here with three guests asking them to what extent do they think that voters think about the climate when they are voting for the local authorities. Hello and welcome to Independence Live. I'm Ian Bruce in Glasgow and this is Rising Clyde, the programme where we look at the big issues and the key challenges facing the struggle for climate justice here in Scotland and around the world. Thursday, the 5th of May, sees voters in Scotland electing over 1,200 councillors for all 32 local government areas. In this third episode of Rising Clyde, we want to look at what impact these elections have for the struggle for climate justice, what we can expect, what we should expect and demand of councils in terms of the policies they can implement to tackle the climate emergency and what more we need. And so in order to, to, do, to talk about this, we're extremely happy to have with us uh, two of our guests. Uh, Rosa Sally is an SNP candidate for Pollock. Rosa herself describes herself as Kurdish-born and Scottish by choice. Uh, she's a, a long-standing campaigner for immigrant right, immigration rights and for women's issues. And also she has an extremely exper in interesting experience to bring to this discussion of local democracy of a different kind, the, the kind of direct democracy developed by the Kurdish communities in Western Kurdistan or Northern Syria. So I think that's an interesting angle to take on this, on, uh, around these local elections and the climate justice issue. Also, we have with us Ellie Harrison. Ellie is a founder and leading member of a campaign that many would regard as one of the most important environmental campaigns in Scotland, Get Glasgow Moving, which campaigns for free public transport. So thank you very much to both of you. Our third guest uh, is actually just getting off a ferry on the Isle of Arran and there's no internet at the moment. He's Aaron MacDonald. He's a Labour candidate from the Isle of Arran for North Ayrshire Council, which has a very interesting experience around community wealth building uh, and what that means for climate justice. I do hope that Aaron will be able to join us and if not he has sent us a couple of videos and we'll hear a little bit from him there. So talking to the two of you, uh, Rosa and Ellie, maybe I could just start by asking each of you to tell me briefly one policy, one measure that you would like to see councils implement to tackle the climate emergency and the issues of climate and social justice. Uh, Rosa, do you want to start? First of all, the environmental crisis is the greatest challenge of our time and uh, everyone knows this. However, from my perspective of understanding, we cannot overcome this issue. Uh, first, we have to make sure that there is direct democracy um, there are social relations of power and communities actually make decisions themselves. Um, of course, Emily, I'm sure, is going to speak about transport. Um, but I believe uh, transport is key. Um, and SNP has put forward, uh, we're making sure that young people have free bus buses for under 22s, um, disabled people, and many people who can use the public transport. Um, of course, 
we have to make sure that buses are publicly owned and run uh, for the people of Glasgow. So I am very interested in looking into direct democracy and of course also improving our transport system. That's great. Thank you very much, Rosa. What about you, Ellie? Well, the, the one policy that we want the council to deliver is, is integrated public transport. And um, just to correct you, Ian, we have been involved in a campaign for free public transport, the Free Our City campaign, but Get Glasgow Moving was set up by local people in 2016 to demand a world-class, fully integrated and affordable public transport system. So we do a lot of work on buses, but we want our buses to be planned and coordinated as part of an integrated public transport system with the railways, with the subway, to make sure that everybody in the region is connected up. And this is really important for climate justice, of course, because in Glasgow, in Scotland, um, transport is our biggest um, carbon Source of carbon emissions, um, and we really need to be getting everybody who's driving at the moment out of their cars and onto public transport over the next 10 years before 2030 if we stand any chance of meeting the carbon reduction targets. But public transport is disproportionately relied on by people on lower incomes, by women, by more marginalized sectors of society. So if we invest a lot of money in improving public transport, then we're disproportionately going to benefit those people. So that will that will help um, reduce inequality, which is just as important, in my view. I stand corrected, Ellie, but I, that raises a question for me, because surely in order to do that, those things and get that kind of quality transport, at the very least, it has to be much cheaper and free. Wouldn't that be a good idea? Yes, we want public transport to be a lot cheaper, obviously. We want public transport to be a lot cheaper, and that's why we helped to found the Free Our City campaign, which is just to popularise the idea of, of making public transport free. But we don't want public transport just to be free for certain groups, because at the moment our buses are, um, you know, there is a real hierarchy in our public transport system, the way that different um, transport modes are seen. Buses seen as something that you only use if you just don't have any other options um, and the fact that you can get a free bus pass if you're elderly if you're disabled and if you're a young person you know you're creating a higher hierarchy where it's only those groups that are using the buses and that's not what we want um, if you go to Edinburgh where of course buses are publicly owned by Lothian buses they're a lot cheaper than in Glasgow a lot more of a comprehensive network then everybody uses the bus. It's much better for an integrated um, society, and that's what we want in Glasgow. So we need much cheaper public transport, and uh, free concessionary cards need to be um, available for all modes of transport, because we can't be saying to, to young people, oh, well, you've got to make do with the bus, uh, where, where other people can get on the train or the subway. You know, it has to be planned and coordinated to work together as part of one network that is a world-class service so that even if you're used to driving around Glasgow at the moment you begin to see public transport as a real affordable reliable efficient alternative that it should be and like it is in most other European cities. You mentioned this difference between um, 
public transport when it's publicly owned, owned by Edinburgh um, Council, for example, compared with Glasgow. I think on this issue of public ownership, um, I just want to bring in one of the videos that Aaron did send us because I asked him about this experience of community wealth building in North Ayrshire. Where they're very proud there of, of what they've done to try and develop this model of community wealth building. I asked him to explain a little bit what it was and what it meant in terms of climate justice. So maybe we could have just have a quick listen to that. So community wealth building here in North Ayrshire is all about building community ownership of the wealth in North Ayrshire but also the resources. So how we've done that in terms of the climate challenge is we are building council-owned renewable projects. So we're building three solar farms and three wind turbines which means we will be creating 277% of the council's energy needs. The extra, so the 177% that we don't use, will be sold to local other uh, public bodies, which will produce a net import of energy, and we're exporting energy, which will create wealth, which will be reinvested into a fund that will help people with the cost of living crisis. What do you think is missing and what do you think still needs to be done to make these policies more effective? So I think what we're doing now is really great. I think we're using quite a lot of the powers that we've got as a council and a lot of the resources we've got. So we're things like uh, refinancing loans. But what I think is missing is more support from government. There needs to be more powers given to local government, uh, including things like municipal ownership of buses, being able to take on those contracts. But that needs to come with financial and fiscal responsibility. So the, the government needs to provide some money and they need to stop cutting council budgets, I think is the main thing. I think we're trying to plug holes as we go along while trying to uh, tackle a climate crisis, which doesn't really work. You need to have that support from government in order to go further. But I think what we're doing right now in North Ayrshire is showing real ambition. I think we are going as far, far as we can. We're going further than any other council. And I think that's down to the, the leadership of Joe Cullinan. and he's taking the powers he has, he's taking the resources he has, and he's giving it back to the community, he's putting it into public ownership, and he's making practical, real decisions that are making socialist ideals come true. A couple of ideas coming up there, Rosa, which, what did I ask you about? On the one hand, there's this thing about public ownership of services, transport in this case, or energy production, which is, I think, is unique to North Ayrshire, uh, the fact that they own some of the, some wind farms and solar farms themselves. Uh, so I'm interested in how you see that, how that might apply, do you think, in, in the case of Glasgow, obviously a much, much bigger city, more, complica more complex situation, but also the question of community involvement and bringing you on to that kind of direct democracy issue that you were you mentioned before uh can, can you give a what, what, what's your comments on what uh, aaron was saying um yeah i think what they're doing is um practical and uh, of course there are uh, social ideas coming through and i think it's great and we should be looking towards that in glasgow um from going back to the direct democracy i think it's important to mention how um i'm very interested in the commune ideas of democratic confederalism um, in a way that how basically not to implement the idea but implement the commune idea of communities and how communities actually make decisions themselves uh, building the communes the municipalities of 
making sure the local authority money is benefiting the people itself, like um, Aaron was mentioning, that's actually benefiting that community. So I think it's very important how the public money or local authority money is actually used for the benefit of that community. Um, that's very important for me and how um, community directly uh, get involved in community councils. I've seen that in many com community councils throughout Glasgow, um, they're not active at all, or the community councils have been closed, or some of them are active, but they cannot uh, implement um, or make decisions themselves to bring something practical um, into like publicly owned transport and how that can be secured to integrate and um, as Ellie was mentioning um, how that transport is so important for Glasgow. Um, so yeah, I think most of the things like local governments review, uh, these are the things that I think are very important that are I'm going to be watching out and hopefully we can work on um, like local democracy bill where we and uh, the SNP basically council will work with the Scottish government uh, to empower the councils and local communities to make these key decisions. Um, so I think these are uh, very important and how we can actually work with them to empower the local communities um, and keeping power more local. Uh, this is something that I'm very passionate about because I think participation and um, communities involvement are really the, the wealth of our society. And we need to build that community wealth and building uh, that future we want for our children. And, and I think it all comes down to local communities where um, local authorities and public bodies spend uh, local communities for the better of good of that um, community. You mentioned this question of direct democracy. Uh, yeah. Now, I, most of our viewers probably don't know much or anything about the Kurdish experience in Rojava and so forth. You know, mm. I don't know if it's possible just to pick out. I know yeah. it's, a, it's a huge issue. and We haven't got time to go to, into, into it yeah. in depth. But mm. what are the sort of one or two key mm. aspects of how that works? And to what okay. extent could one be inspired by that and think about ways of applying it in obviously mm. a very different situation mm. we are in in okay. Scotland? So, for example, uh, say one commune is um, focusing on health. Um, there are, of course, two heads of every health committee, one man and a woman. This is called the co-presidency model. Um, so basically, uh, this kind of idea is that they train uh, the two person who's elected by the community themselves uh, are trained by doctors. Um, and basically they learn uh, basic uh, first aid or even advanced aid. So this kind of uh, keeps uh, the valuable health knowledge being centralized, um, decentralized uh, and allows a life-saving action dispersed to the community. This is basically a key self-organized like organized 
communes. Uh, and I think it's very, very interesting how that can be looked into through uh, the bills that, you know, like local democracy bills um, that a Community Wealth Build Act, which basically we are trying to improve the direct democracy. And I think that in its own, that kind of perspective of the Rojava administration is so important uh, to these bills and uh, we can look into how you know we can empower the community councils, ensure that um, the decisions are taken as close as possible to those that affecting the most. Um, and I think going back to the model of Rojava, uh, it's that you know neighbors caring about neighbors. So you won't make a decision, a bad decision that's affecting your neighbor. So that's bringing more like localized local. Localizing uh, these uh, powers, so it is very interesting, and in how we can develop these uh, and ensure decisions are made directly at communities. Ellie, I wonder, does this discussion about direct democracy, community empowerment, involvement, how does that fit into your vision of public transport, or does it fit in? It really does fit in because one of the massive issues we've got, why our bus network is so terrible in Glasgow at the moment, is because it is owned and run by massive a massive multinational company, First Group, um, First's um, biggest shareholder is called Coast Capital, based in the Rockefeller Tower of New York. This is not a company that cares about providing services to communities in Glasgow. It cares about making profit. Um, this is why things have gone so badly wrong. Um, people who don't know the history of public transport buses were deregulated in 1986. So after that point, they were no longer planned and coordinated to, to meet communities' needs. They were literally um, run by private companies depending on where they could make most money. So the network's been really brutally reshaped since deregulation. And, you know, passengers have, have not really had a say over, over, where, over the services that they need. So to sort out that mess, we need to re-regulate the buses. We need a public body to do that acting on a hard behalf. Um, and just just in terms of the role of Glasgow City Council here, it can't just be done um, on one city council, on a count, one council level, because Glasgow City Council, you know, there's um, so many count, other councils that border us, uh, and the people that, that live in those council areas rely on the public transport network to get in and out of the city. They probably live in... Um, in one of the Lanarkshires or Dumbartonshires and they have to travel in and out of the city to get to work. So we need public transport to work on a regional level. That's why something like SPT was set up to plan, plan and coordinate the network on a regional level. But SPT has, has failed to deliver the integrated public transport system that we need. I mean, there's lots of reasons for that. It's been chronically underfunded. It hasn't had the powers to re-regulate the buses until very recently in the, in the new transport act that are just about to come on stream. Um, but also, get Glasgow Moon would say, there are no passengers on the board. 
yeah, there are elected councillors from all of the different um, regions, but we need some community representatives on the board of SPT to be able to, to plan um, to, to make sure that passengers' interests, communities' interests are being properly represented. And just to say about Get Glasgow Moving, you know, we are completely volunteer run. We're a completely grassroots campaign. We're all public transport passengers. That's why we're doing this. Very few of us own cars. We are completely dependent on public transport. We're the experts. We're the ones that they should be coming to to ask. And at the moment, there's a bit of a power struggle going on between SPT and the Glasgow City Region Cabinet and also this uh, the Glasgow um, Bus Partnership that has been set up, which Glasgow Moving vehemently opposes because that's basically just all the private bus companies getting together to work in cahoots to say, you know, to, to maintain the status quo. And we've we've asked to be represented on that that um, partnership so that passengers' views can can be heard. And, and, and we've been told we're not allowed. Um, so that has to change. Um, but really, we, we just got to stop these private bus companies from being allowed to get away with what they're getting away with at the moment. It's failing. We need a public body that's going to act in our interest to, to re-regulate them to plan the network so that it meets our needs. I just want to shift that slightly because on the, we're talking about public involvement, public control, public, you know, more a more democratic kind of involvement of the of the communities in running transport or whatever it is. But th- there's also a question, isn't there, about what powers public bodies have, you know, to what extent they have the powers they need, whether involving the, the communities in itself is enough. Um, and I, I did ask Aaron a little bit about this, and he, uh, he sent this contribution on that question. But there, are, there are limitations there as more scope needed uh, for more powers. Uh, I think currently the current devolution settlement gives quite a lot of powers to Holyrood in terms of this uh, matter, in terms of uh, the climate uh, climate justice portfolio. I think the, the Parliament's not really using the powers, so I think if they were able to, to pass those powers down to the chain, uh, decentralise some of that, that mechanism and allow local councils to, to uh, have more powers in terms of ownership and Things like deinvesting the Strathclyde Pension Fund, municipal bus services, that all requires more powers and that's that's a really big limitation. We, ha- we have these bold, ambitious plans, we have these ideas, but in terms of the power we have, we're, we're doing as much as we can. But I think there needs to be a real honest conversation here in Scotland that in order to tackle this climate emergency, in terms to tackle and achieve climate justice, you need to achieve things like housing justice and in order to build more council homes, you need more finance, you need more fiscal powers and I think currently the settlement local government's getting from the Scottish Government it's passing on those Tory cuts to the Scottish budget and then the Scottish Parliament and the Scottish Government are passing those cuts onto local government which makes it really hard when you're trying to tackle the climate crisis because you're trying to tackle the climate crisis but also you're trying to plug the gaps in the services you already have so what needs to happen and the limitation that's there is more budget, more finance and more support to local government because it's going to be here in the grassroots where we actually achieve climate justice. And to do that, the Scottish Government needs to, to give us more support. Three of those key issues then for sort of climate justice in our cities and in our communities. Transport one, which we've been talking about quite a bit. The issue of 
homes, of retrofitting homes and, and reducing energy consumption, and indeed the experience in Ayrshire of actually community production and control of energy generation. To what extent do you think that councils have powers that have the powers they need to have? To what extent do those powers not exist? I'm, I'm just interested in how you see the kind of scale working here between community involvement, council powers, and then the powers that exist at the level of the Scottish government or indeed the UK government. Uh, Rosa, do you want to come in on that? You know, where does power actually reside and how do we need to change that? It's been mentioned by Adam even, like in, in his video, is that the actual power is in London where the cuts are coming through. So if there are cuts coming through, then the cuts coming through the Scottish Parliament and the Scottish Parliament's cuts going through the council. So there are issues that, so going back to your question, is actually is the powers are lying in London. Um, so, you know, you have to make sure how this is being spent, the money has been spent and how is it located and where is it going and how is it being spent. Ellie, what do you, do you have some comments on that? Yeah, I've got a lot of comments on that. I think, um, I mean, I, transport has been a, um, a devolved issue since the parliament was set up and it's taken 20 years for the Scottish government to bring in powers which will enable local authorities to re-regulate the buses. So that is a shockingly long time. Um, and the thing that's very frustrating, I agree with Aaron that we need um, more funding and more, more powers devolved to local and regional levels. Um, and the thing that's really frustrating about the Scottish government with these transport act is well not only it's the 2019 transport act it's 2022 now i know we've had a pandemic in the way but the powers are not even enacted yet they are now saying that some of those powers for publicly owned buses will become available later this year the powers to re-regulate the buses will not become available till maybe the end of next year so that will be nearly Five, um, nearly four years after the act was, was passed by the Parliament. So that's a shockingly long time when we're talking about totally transforming transport before 2030. But the thing that annoys me about the Scottish Government is um, that they said in the Transport Act that what they want to do is provide options um, to local authorities. So they're making it sound like oh, it's, we don't want a top-down approach. We want local authorities to be able to decide which powers they use in the Transport Act. But they've rolled out this thing called the Bus Partnership Fund, which is basically a £500 million fund, where local authorities can only get money if they go into the partnership option, which is basically the one that the bus companies all want. It's maintaining the status quo. It's not re-regulating the buses, and it's not setting up a new publicly owned bus company. So that's really shocking because they use COVID as, a, as to say, as an excuse that we can't um, give you the powers in the Transport Act yet. But at the same time, they push through this bus partnership fund to force local authorities into these partnerships that are going to do nothing um, to improve public transport. So, so that's, that's really shocking. And the other thing about funding, and I don't agree with Rosa on this either, is that it's, it's not just about um, what Westminster gives us. We're not thinking um, sensibly about how we fund our public transport network. In that transport bill that 
that became the Act, there's only one measure there for revenue raising. It's the working place parking, workplace parking levy. There are loads more options we could be using to fund the world-class public transport network that we need. You look at what other, other countries are doing. They have local payroll taxes. They have um, taxes where local businesses contribute to public transport because, um, you know, obviously all of the employees in an area use that public transport and benefit from it. There's loads of creative ways that we could be using to fund our public transport network. We're not doing that. Yeah, we need a, a properly um, re-empowered regional transport authority, whether that's SPT or as it says in the SNP manifesto that they want to explore options for replacing SPT. But they better get on and do it really quickly if they do, because it could take another five years to replace SPT. And then we're getting close to 2030 and we still haven't done anything to sort out of public transport. But whatever it is, this public transport body needs to act in passengers' interest. It needs to have the funding that it needs to, to deliver it. It needs to think creatively about how to fund public transport. And it needs to take on the power of the private bus companies, re-regulate them to, to coordinate the network so that it works in passengers' interest. I think coming to you, Ellie, is that the new Clyde Metro system, uh, which is in our manifesto, I think is going to transform the connectivity and try across Glasgow. Hopefully that will secure, um, we will secure an integrated tab and cap uh, tickets as well. And yes, I am very for publicly owned um, buses and it is in our manifesto um, as, as we have been doing uh, our train systems as well. Tra the trains are publicly owned and I am for everything else to be publicly owned to be honest. Uh, so, <laughs> but that's um, and it is something in our manifesto that uh, would impact uh, and practically impact on many people's lives and improve many people's lives. Um, Eliam, I am very interested to actually also meet with you and discuss how we can, uh, you know, I am not a counsellor yet, um, but I hope to be and I'm happy to discuss how we can improve people's life in Glasgow. That's great. I'm afraid I think we're just about coming to the end of our, our time here, uh, but that's really interesting. And I mean, I think there's a whole nother level of discussion, which I would have liked to get onto, but I don't think we can this time, which is similar to the discussion we had before about energy generation, you know, because a lot of people, when there was all the Scotland auction, a lot of people criticised the Scottish government, I mean, partly rightly, perhaps, because they hadn't set up the uh, public energy company. But the, there was a counter argument, which also seemed quite convincing, was that Actually, given the powers under devolution, especially the financial powers to borrow and all that kind of stuff, a devolved government doesn't have enough power to really tackle these big climate issues, you know. So I don't know. I mean, I think there's, you know, there's no doubt there's obviously a discussion. There's an important discussion, both in transport, in terms of energy generation and, and all those questions about where... <laughs> uh, where, where direct democracy, independence and public ownership, all those kinds of like big kind of frame, framing things fit together, you know, in, in terms of taking the kind of dramatic action we obviously need, you know, to tackle this 
this crisis. But anyway, thank you so much. A final comment from both of you, if you want. Yeah, quick one, yeah. I think that direct democracy is so important. As a young person, I got engaged into politics because of independence referendum in 2014. You know, that was something that made me to engage as a young person, and that was a direct democracy, you know. Um, many people went and voted, were passionate about the issue. And I think that's what we need to have, that kind of engagement and participation and discussion is so important. We we don't have all the answers and therefore we have to discuss issues and to see how we can improve people's lives. So I have been listening and I've learned so much through this discussion. So thank you so much. Ellie, go ahead. Well, it's been a pleasure to appear on the show alongside Rosa and I wish you good luck in the elections. We'll definitely be knocking on your door if you <laughs> become a councillor. And just to say to everybody, like, Get Glasgow Moving is, is people-powered. We're volunteer-run. Anybody can join us. We want people all across the Glasgow City region to do that in the eight councils across the Glasgow City region because we need a regional public transport network. We want to connect all of those different communities and um, yeah so so get on board and and gradually we're, we're going to get there that's great thank you so much to both of you that was episode three of rising cloud presented by ian bruce the program is broadcast on the first monday of the month at 7 p.m you can watch the video on the independence live youtube channel this audio version podcast is brought out by Scottish Independence Podcasts and you'll find us wherever you normally listen to your podcasts. Spotify, Podbean, Apple, Google, you can find Scottish Independence Podcasts.